My name is Mark McGowan and you are listening to Inspire Radio. This is Coffee with Caro. I've been threatening to welcome him all day, so it gives me great pleasure to welcome Chris Outen. Thank you so much for joining us on Coffee with Caro. Thanks, Karen. Yeah, it's really um, good to have you here. Yeah, it's been a long time since I've seen you. Yes, absolutely. And our association goes back way, way back um, over the last sort of 12 years with uh, my involvement in community services and Chris's involvement, obviously, um, through the KIC. And my role mainly being uh, the person who was looking to transition young people into pathways of employment. But more importantly now, talking about business and uh, looking forward to really really doing a deep dive with you this afternoon and finding out exactly what's going on. Now, I can't help myself. I still call it the Quinana Industries Council and the, the strip. I still call it the strip, but I believe we're actually now talking about the Western Trade Coast. That's right, and uh, I refer to it as a strip as well, <laughs> <laughs> although I shouldn't. Um, yeah, so the Western Trade Coast is what that whole industrial area in the north, right from the Australian Marine Complex, the AMC, right down to basically Dixon Road here in Rockingham, and then in the middle, um, out towards the freeway. It's, it's fantastic. Yes, yes. So the Southwest Corridor. So that's our background. That's our, our backyard, people. Listeners will know it well because many of us are employed out there and uh, we're looking forward to having a chat about some of the recent changes, what's uh, been happening and what's about to happen. But before we do that, Chris, I'd ask you to share with listeners a bit about your background. How did you get to be Chief Executive Officer of Kwinana Industries Council? What area did you come from? Where did your passion come from? Um, thanks for the question. Uh, I'll, I'll make this as short as possible. But it's no, a, it's you a, don't have it's to. It's a somewhat <laughs> convoluted um, pathway. Um, my first job was in a commercial horticultural nursery in New Zealand. Okay. Um, I've spent a little over half of my life here in, in Perth, um, south of the river, and the the earlier half in New Zealand. So I came out here in uh, 89, it was. So my first job was in a commercial nursery where I was um, learning learning uh, a trade, and mm-hmm. I became um, a trade certificate qualified, so a tradesman in horticulture. Okay. Um, and then I decided that I would like to go into local government, and, and especially parks, Parks and Recreation Okay. So that's what I did. And I started on a tractor mowing lawns in parks. How wonderful. (laughs) What a great job. It was pretty good. Uh, My hearing's not so good as a result of it. (laughs) We didn't have PPE in those days. Um, And then I I loved it. I went and got some more qualifications at Lincoln College in Canterbury in New Zealand and uh, Parks and Recreation Administration Advanced Diploma. And Mm. my first job was in a little place called Mount Monganui. Oh, uh, in the North beautiful. Near, near Taronga. Um, and I was placed in charge, I was the parks officer placed in charge of about 15 men, um, some of whom were three times my age. <laughs> so I learned a few things about management quite quickly, I can tell you. But anyway, I worked my way up and I was a manager and then we decided to immigrate to Australia and uh, when it took a sideways step, my first job back in uh, was in local government um, okay. in the city of Melville as a technical officer, parks tech um, and then I went to the city of Fremantle as Parks and Recreation Manager. Was doing um, strategic planning for the city under the CEO. Mm-hmm. Um, then I got a job as a director, one of the one of the two directors at the town of Quinana back then. Um, and I, I was there for a good four years, um, and I finished up as a, as the acting CEO mm-hmm. at Quinana there for a bit of around about a year. And, and what a beautiful city it's become! Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm very proud um, to have been. Part of that formative roots, team, yeah. Yeah, to put my roots down in this area. Um, and I was, uh, at that time, I'd, 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 well, a few years before that, I'd finished a Bachelor of Commerce as a, a mature-age student, and then I'd, I was just about to finish a, um, uh, an Executive Master of Business with UWA. Uh, and one of the, the stu- one of the, um, my colleagues at UWA said, come and, w- come and work for Silver Chain, the nursing association. Okay. Um, we've got some projects to get going. That's a bit different. Medical centres, um, Shark Bay, um, um, Denham, you know, um, all the way up there near Monkey Mile, Geraldton, um, yeah, uh, Denmark down south, um, putting these um, little 
medical facilities together. together. So I was doing that job for three months. It was just temporary. And then um, I was asked if I would like to become the general manager of business development. Um, and I did that job for two years. So that was quality assurance and fundraising and new product development, really interesting stuff. Uh, then this job came up and lo and behold, nearly 13 years later, here I am. <laughs> having made such a big impact and having come to the job, um, Chris, with it seemed to me like a really clear strategic plan to make this a world-class industrial area. Am I right? You are. You yeah. Are right. Um, but more than just industrial, it's also, I, I think all my career I've worked, I've made it a point of living in the community that I that I work that you in, work in yeah in local government meant, meant moving around a bit but I did um, and in doing that I, I've got a really strong sense of community mm. uh, and industry is part of the overall community it's just mm. a different suburb and they're interconnected um, residential areas and in industrial areas and so forth they're interconnected one exists with the other it's a, it's a synergy yes um, so I've applied that thinking probably without that, or that philosophy without thinking about it too much mm. um, and just trying to do the decent and the right thing all the time. Mm. Um, what's what's good for industry is good for everybody. Um, I believe in what industry's doing. I don't, uh, the, 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 the critics out there who say they're just horrible polluters and, you know, mm. doing things behind the scenes, I disagree with that completely. Mm. Um, my The industry association, uh, the members of, of our association um, – I have a great deal of respect for and trust of, um, and I know that w they're trying to do the right thing for their businesses, for the community, for the state. That's know, right. We're all we're, you know, we're on the same team, aren't we? Yeah. And, and, and I, I love what you said because it is so true in terms of just wanting the best thing for your community. And I'm I'm visualizing that whether you're having a conversation with a young mum outside of a primary school in Quinana, or having a conversation with a director uh, or owner manager of a very very large industrial um, organization that's right on the foreshore it's the same conversation it is are we protecting our environment are we bringing jobs to our environment are we stabilizing our economy is there a future for us and uh, we, we all worry about the same things at the end of the day and big business I believe is not here to damage us or cause us harm they are obviously living symbiotically within our community so we'll touch a little bit on that uh, a little bit later on but right now um, can you explain to people what the Quinana Industries Council is all about and uh, what your role specifically is as CEO what do you do? Yeah certainly so the Quinana Industries Council or KIC was formed uh, incorporated as an associate not-for-profit association back in 1991 so it's been around for a day or two yeah um, and its purpose hasn't really changed since the beginning, uh, and that is to advocate in the collegiate interests of the members. So there are a whole lot of issues that industries share in common. So what I don't do um, is advocate for an in the issues uh, of an individual company. Okay. It's got to be two or more, so it's a collective issue. And that, that could be – there's a whole range of things that that could be across. It could be – um, better at roading infrastructure or congested rail trying to get that fixed pipeline corridors um, that are too congested or, you know, the land issues associated yeah. with all the planning systems too complex um, or the buffer zones not protected properly. That's our number one key strategic issue and we have six key strategic issues. So um, I have to be across all of those all of the time mm. dealing with all of the different government departments and the different people in those departments um, who um, may be at cross-purposes at times. Gets, it, it, do, it does get really quite complex. Okay. Uh, so um, I, I try to – I've got to write submissions and develop policy suggestions for government, for the departments, and it's, it's – um, there's, just, there's just so many different things going on. So my job um, – Whilst I might start the day with a to-do list, um, it's more like I <laughs> doesn't start, always go that way. <laughs> it's more like I start the, the week with a to-do list, and then you know it's just a continuous updating of adding new what things. What takes what takes priority? Yeah, ticking the occasional thing off, and uh, like this, 
some, sometimes there's a big project that comes along, like the Westport, the new port yes. kind of project. We may be talking about that later, but um, that's such an important project, not so much because of the, of the benefits, the competitive benefits of um, more efficient freight, mm. um, but it's the, the number of, because it's such a big infrastructure project, it's the number of other projects... The, the, the fixing of issues that get triggered because of this such such this decision which is so significant it's like a room yeah. room full of dominoes standing on their short end okay and they just you, one decision is gonna yeah the one, affect all one sorts of things a whole lot for and yeah. that's the way I look at it and I and that's how I explain it people get it mm. then mm. that's why um, for industry existing industry getting the new port and, and that decision is so vitally important yeah, and something you've been campaigning for for a long, long time. Yes. You are listening to Coffee with Caro, and my guest in the studio is Chris Outen. We'll be back right after this. For the community, Inspire Radio. My guest today is uh, Chris Outen, KRC's CEO. Chris, you did allude earlier on to the um, Western Trade Coast's newest little jewel, which is going to be the Quinana Port. And I know it's been a long time battle. It's been a long time coming. Tell us about the journey getting there. I know there was a fair amount of opposition. And now that it's happened, I actually own property in Fremantle as well. And I'm delighted because it clears up that Fremantle foreshore area for my Airbnb to perform in a better way and for us to attract more tourists to Fremantle. Um, But that's just from a personal point of view. I also am excited that it's going to bring jobs and it'll be a 10-year process, won't it? Well, funny you should say that, Caroline. Um, I don't think it needs to be a 10-year You think it'll be quicker? Process. Well, yes, I do. Okay. Uh, I think this will gain its own momentum um, very, very soon, um, maybe after the election um, that's coming up in March. This is the third time round at this point that I know of. Um, when I was a Parks technical officer, parks manager at the city of Fremantle back in 1992. <laughs> um, I can remember working with some of the fellows, and Kerry Sanderson was the CEO oh, okay. of Fremantle Ports yes. at the time. And the planning was about moving the port um, to Quinana. It might have been staged. I can't remember at that at that point. Um, and so we've been we've been at the point where the decision's been made to move the port to uh, for the third time, to my knowledge. Um, now, this time round, we're a lot further advanced, so mm. uh, I have a quiet confidence, although it's that probably not quiet anymore, <laughs> <laughs> a quiet confidence that this time it's going to happen. Now, if, it's, if, if the decision has been made that it's going to happen, I think, I think what we will need to do is, what we'll need to see um, is that it just gets, gets going. Mm. Not having... A, a firm decision about when just creates, just extends the uncertainty. And uncertainty is the enemy of business investment. Yes. So people want to feel secure. They want to feel well safe when they're putting. It's, it's, well, it's, it's like, um, so, you know, what goes through the mind? They're making an investment decision. It might be a billion dollar, mm. B billion dollar plant that they're looking at and investing in building in, in the industrial hub mm. in the Quinana industrial area. So they look at what are the what are the risks? Well, what if the port doesn't go ahead? And then they've gone and created well, a whole new well, infrastructure around That's it. Right. They well, won't, so so yeah. they won't actually create the infrastructure. They'll hold off, waiting for the for for a rock solid decision. Mm. There's a lot of that stuff around at the moment. Mm. Um, investment decisions waiting for a rock solid decision about timing. So between ten and twenty five years doesn't cut it. Yeah. And it's a big deal. It's a big deal for the state. Um, but I know for a fact, because I do these tours of the Western Trade Coast, um, mm. I've actually, you remember the movie Kenny? Yes. Well, I did. Um, Harry's looking Play at... on him. <laughs> well, Harry's looking at the, at the camera all the time. Yes. So on, on our website now, um, there's the two-hour tour, the, the Chris Outen world-famous <laughs> 120-minute no-notes <laughs> tour of the Western Trade Coast. Yes, which I notice you're doing driving and talking too. Oh, you've seen it. <laughs> I've seen it. Oh, you, can take, you can grab my autograph at some time, <laughs> time if you like. Um, but, I'm going to call but you Kenny had, now. It's had 1,600 um, Views. downloads. Mm. 
Yeah. Quite a bit, really. I think um, so. But People are keen to know well, what's going right. on out there. That's right. And so... And so what the, the sorts of people that I've run those tours for include um, businesses, chemical processing businesses that w- are looking between, say, here and Ke- or Kemerton or Kalgoorlie or wherever to set up. So I show mm. them around the industrial area. And I'll talk about industrial symbiosis soon, yes. if you like. They really love that. Um, but international investors, I've had super fund, Australian super fund investors, looking uh, what are the projects coming up. Mm. Nev, Nev Power who's the Prime Minister's chosen chairman for the National um, COVID Recovery okay. Committee. Two Fridays ago, he and, he and I spent two and a half hours on a tour of the industry. Taking a good look he around. He had no idea. He just, he, so many pe- directors, general of our state government departments, politicians, state, local, federal. I've done mm. all, of them. all these people yeah. around. And almost invariably, when they come away, they, they, they say, I just never knew dot 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 yes you know they they have they've had their um minds expanded by what what the quinona industrial area the western tracos is producing annually into the state how many people it employs and more importantly what are the opportunities that are presented now those opportunities um for example coming back to the point are businesses looking to make major investments Mm. but if if on the list of uncertainties is and they need a new port internationally yeah. competitive port, if on the list of the uncertainties is when will the port happen and is it critical that I have an access to a new port, and it probably is, yeah. um, if the new port's in the, on the never-never 10 to 25 years, mm-hmm. their decision's going to be, no, we'll go somewhere else, yeah. overseas. Are we highly affected by whether or not they can That's get right. in and out? Yeah, That's right. So And these are some of the biggest players in the resources industry yeah. as well and serve, it will serve the whole of the rest of WA as well, and which is where our, our money basin is, isn't it? And it's the downstream manufacturing, mm. um, the secondary processing of materials. That's what we've got to grab and they need efficient... That's access. right. Yeah, it's pointless. Uh, pointless. Us saying we've got 146 kilometres of um, bauxite mining that Alcoa comfortably can tuck into um, all the way down here, and then uh, we can't shift it because once well, it's alumina, it needs to be offshore. It's not going to do us any good here unless we're manufacturing and uh, have a downline that can move that product. Yeah, but it's also that's right. But but it, it's also the lithium valley, the lithium. Um, materials value chain so yes we're great at digging holes and crushing out big rocks and making mm. them into little rocks and sending them offshore but we're not so good at downstream processing mm. we've got to get better at that we can do it all we've got all the expertise we've got the industrial area for it um, we could be exporting batteries do we have the people for it Chris? We have, yes. so we there's, there's thirty thousand workers attribute their jobs to the western trade coast um um Three quarters of those are indirectly, and a quarter are directly employed. Um, they choose to move for promotions or new experience within the industrial area. Their families are here. They sleep in their own bed when they're off shift. Mm, mm. Um, they don't want to go to Kalgoorlie to live um, necessarily, or Bunbury yeah. for Kempton or whatever. They, this is home, and. Two-thirds of those workers live within 15 kilometres of where they work. Which is perfect. So, they're raising so families who are attending right. schools, they're buying groceries, they're driving the economy. That's right. So mm. that's what I talk about, the interconnectedness of mm. industry and community. So um, because those skilled workers live nearby and they work in industry, when a new company comes in, let's say it's Tianchi Lithium or, or the Avitus, the Waste to Energy mm. plant or whatever, it doesn't matter, um, they will – they will uh, hire, employ many of their workers from within the industrial area, so they come skilled. Yeah, they're already there. Yeah. All we've got to do is keep bringing new um, workers into the workforce. And uh, and my pers- perspective, my take on that is that we should be training up the young people from school age, correct? So that, so that they're, they're gaining an awareness of industry. Yeah, um, as they're going into their final years of schooling. Not that they have to go, just an awareness. So, I mean, they don't. They know, know it's there. The opportunity just, is they, there. Yeah. They just so many people in this region do not understand, sadly, 
the range of 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 um, pathways. careers, mm. uh, pathways, yes, but but the range of careers that industry here has to offer. You think about it; it's it's not just the old heavy trades, the boiler making, yeah, and all it's of that. technology, it's process plant, it's science, it's engineering, it's HR, finance, yeah. um, environmental management and planning, safety. It's you endless, isn't it? Oh, yeah, it's just huge. Now, last week I was speaking to Tony Solon. Um, oh, yeah. Who is uh, who? Obviously, looks after Rockingham Quinana Chamber of Commerce, and Tony was saying that uh, with the announcement of a very very large bucket of funding going out to HMS HMAS Sterling um, of note, something that has occurred more recently, which is very very positive, is that forty percent of the tenders for all of that new development will have to go to our own local companies and organisations. Have we got any? Thing like that that um, that sort of uh, ties in with uh, industry and people doing new developments up here. That means that some of those tenders and some of those opportunities have to come to local businesses. So, Caroline, you've just pressed another one of those red buttons. A little uh, bit. <laughs> so, so I'll rise to the occasion. Thank shall you I? so much. <laughs> <laughs> you can do it. Come on. Good question. So, we as a state, we have. Um, a preference for local content, but there are ways around the rules. So the government's got the right idea, mm-hmm. uh, and that is to promote local content, okay? Mm-hmm. But if you're clever, you can get around the rules, and we've all seen that. Mm. You know, you've only got to look at the big kit that arrives from uh, from offshore, overseas. It's manufactured overseas, overseas right, arrives mm. in great big manufactured Containers and well, yeah. manufactured, so you have to yeah. put it on high, wide load trucks to, to, or barges to get mm. it up north. Um, how does that happen? Why does it happen? That's what well, I want to know. Well, Why aren't we just doing it right here in our own backyard? Um, well, we can. So mm. you take Tianchi Lithium. It's twice I've mentioned it this morning, <laughs> this, after, this afternoon. So if you take Tianchi Lithium, eighty-five, and you drive past it, you see mm. this huge, you know, massive plant, construction. Yeah. It's all pipes and ladders and cables and drums and you know tanks, you name it. It's fantastic. Eighty-five um, percent of that was was physically manufactured within five kilometres of where it is today. So fantastic. that's in the naval base area. Mm. That's that's where that was manufactured and carted there. I mean, we can do local content. Mm. Uh, it's it when we use local providers, they've got a reputation to uphold, so they're going to get it right first time. Mm. The um, welds are going to be in the right place. The lugs, the lifting lugs, are going to be in the right place. The the, the anti corrosion coating isn't going to fall off. Um, and they and not goes uh, on they, and on they're on. also going to be working to the same timeline. Yeah, timeline and Australian standards yeah. and all of that. Um, yes, maybe it's a bit more expensive, and the and the and the cost accountants in some. Uh, unwindowed wielding, uh, far un- away un- place, unwindowed office <laughs> in the basement of a large story <laughs> building with propellers on their head can save five percent or four percent yep. by buying offshore. Um, they don't know about what it what it costs when it gets here to fix it up to make it right. Yeah, there's plenty of examples. Oh, plenty of examples yeah. of that. So um, we are very competitive um, when you when you. Bring into the equation the cost of not having to do the rework, mm, mm. and they're right here on the doorstep. With something needs to be s- sorted, changed because a design. The phone call away, and the guys there. Cha- yeah. They're only five k's away. Absolutely. So that's that. That's actually the another dimension of industrial symbiosis. I talk about. Four yes, let's talk about the symbiosis for a minute. So I, okay, so I talk about four dimensions of industrial symbiosis. Mm. The first one is the one that everybody around the world talks about, the academics, the engineers, which is the products and byproducts and utility exchanges. Yeah. It's a schematic. I think I saw you had it there. Yes. <laughs> um, because oh, funny I, you should have that. <laughs> oh, yes, one I backed so, earlier. So I that, love that um, we're so interconnected. Yeah, this and is And that the when, best when one organisation needs water coming in, um, they use it, and then that wastewater product might go to another company, a second company, a neighbour, mm. as it were, who needs that um, wastewater yeah. to to do something else in their process, and so coming from an environment where um, I know in gold filtration, my husband is a chemical engineer, and so we've lived and worked on many 
gold mines and plants around the world. And we always have that related industry that creates a bigger community. So we might only be employing, let's say, 1,200 people on a lime um, plant at a, at a lime factory, but surrounding us is all of the neighbouring industries that use the byproducts from lime. And I can see that's exactly what's happening here. Mm, that, that schematic that you can see, it's on our website, but that schematic um, is literally the world's best practice example of industrial symbiosis at work with over 150 exchanges in 2014 when that was done. So that's the first dimension of industrial symbiosis. The second is the skilled workforce synergy. So those companies that are coming in can employ mm. local skilled people. Um, that's a great advantage, saves them a lot of money. Um, the third dimension of industrial symbiosis is the uh, support industries. So they're the expert fabricators, constructors, engineering workshops, labour and plant hire, galvanisers. Mm. If you've got those Part industries, fitters, yeah, yeah. if you've got those industries in a belt around the core industrial area, everybody saves money. Mm. Um, if you put, if you go down to Kemerton, for example, just out of Bunbury, and you put a new plant in there, there's no skilled workforce. There's no existing product and byproduct synergies. There's no industrial belt of, You're on of your support own. industries. Yeah. You're on your own. You're on your um, own. And then the fourth dimension is the fourth dimension of industrial symbiosis is the governance dimension. So that's state, local, and federal laws, regulations, mm. planning, approval processes, infrastructure provision, major roads, rails, ports. Yeah. All of that governance. Uh, that also takes care of environmental um, yep. issues like the buffer zone, yep. ensuring that um, that industry um, is... <laughs> yes, I know it's another red button. You just pressed another <laughs> red button. Buffer zone. Chris, that's because I'm concerned that, um, you know, it is just on our doorstep and I want to make sure that where I'm out kayaking on a Sunday morning, um, looking out over, yes, what delights me is high employment opportunities to my right off of uh, Rockingham Beach. Um, but I also know then that the water that I'm swimming in and that the dolphins are swimming in has been protected by, as you say, governance, by ensuring that our environmental awareness is tip-top and that everybody that's in the symbiosis is doing the same thing and following the good rules. That's right. Let's talk about that buffer zone. Is it, <laughs> is it wide enough? <laughs> um, the buffer zone as it is today and as it has been for many years is, is okay. Um, the issue is that uh, there are property developers, some property developers um, uh, think that because the land looks cheap or it might be still rural or could do with upgrading in its zoning, they think that we'll grab that chunk and make it affordable housing. Mm. And that's what's happening in Mandogalup with, with mm. a couple of property developers, mm. affordable housing. Um, uh, we've had um, some buffer encroachment up on the north end near years ago near mm. Coburn Cement, and that's that, you know that's a problem. Yeah, uh, food producers two blocks away from Coburn Cement. Well, uh, uh, but yes, and those small hobby farmers those and food farmers. Those yeah. food producers pr use chemical sprays, <laughs> so they need a buffer zone as well. Yeah, right. So you know that's don't. Don't encroach well, too close just to feels, them. Yeah, it, to it just feels a little bit scary when you've got semi-agricultural rural property right yeah. next to industrial property up the road from residential property. Hmm. I'd be more worried about the chemicals that the, that the market gardeners put on their on their crops than dust. Then, um, well, yeah, dust is just one thing. I mean, mm. there's there's all sorts of emissions, but they're all managed within the regulations, mm. and the regulations get tighter and tighter as they should, mm. and it gives time for industry uh, to respond with investment in technology so you know that's a that's a good it's a good thing process that, yeah. that happens but we've got in, in addition to Manogalup, we've got concerns um, with the with the integrity of the buffer zone its ability to withstand pressure in the north and in the south um, so what um, what we need to have is is a buffer zone a line in the sand which mm. uh, which is just no go that's it. Um, yeah, that's the end of it. And, and don't and, try to encroach. And, and those who want to want to encroach, they they say, well, you can't you can't have this land um, quarantined from development. So, using a Rockingham example, 
for example, with the buffer zone here, you, you mm. know, the, on Enos Ave, the car yards, yes. that sort of commercial area, yes. and Bunnings, that's in the buffer zone, literally. So right, that, that's a perfect it. use yeah. for a buffer yeah. zone because it's a transition away from heavy through light industry, through commercial to Into residential. Into soft, soft residential area, yeah. Works a treat. So, yeah. so Win-win uh, situation. Yeah, yes, that's right. But the, the planning system in years gone by has has been, in my view, subjected subjected to some um, uh, difficult process, uh, pressures. And I'm, I'm trying to use my words quite yeah, carefully yeah. here. But any decisions around this in a, that, that could negatively affect where the buffer is in relation to industry's need for a buffer zone um, need to be very transparent decisions. Yeah. Because um, if, if the buffer zone, as I call it, if the buffer zone's wobbly, i.e. malleable... Mm, it moves up and down, in and out. Yeah, and well, that's, that's another risk for that industry. That flexibility that's going to create a problem. That, that yeah. goes on the list of risks for incoming mm. industry looking at making decisions to come here. And and if there is a if there's a if there's a reasonable possibility possibility that the buffer zone is going to be moved, well, they're going to think twice about the site that they've been allocated Correct. potentially. Yeah. So jobs go overseas. Yeah, Chris, for lay people like myself, just members of the community who um, know, love, and trust um, KRC and and the work that you guys are doing. I think we really just want to know that there is somebody out there championing the cause, you know, and that we are going to have jobs, um, that our young people are going to be graduating and have a pathway and that we're not going to be totally reliant on our income coming from FIFO or from tourism or from health, which are obviously those big points. Um, and we're also obviously looking at a lot of development and construction, especially now with the new big highway going down um, through to Albany. So that's exciting stuff in terms of development for our region. I want us to talk a little bit, um, just for a moment or so, about the other arm of the KRC, and that's your education outreach. Some of the stuff that you're doing around eye diversity and eye woman and... Uh, and that's how I, I get really excited when I see programs and initiatives like this being funded by people like yourselves. Um, that's going to ensure the future generations have opportunities. Let's talk a little bit about women in industry. Mm. Okay, well, I'm excited too. Um, a bit like Big Kev. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we've had many years ago now, we created our education development program. And we've got a partnership with 17 high schools in the mm -hmm. region, high schools. And... Uh, there's a range of programs. Um, pro the, the main bulk of them are with our year ten student. The year ten students we have I women, I men, I diversity, and I science. Um, and these are other than science. These are programs for the vet kids heading down the, the vocational education pathway. Um, and in year nine we have what we call bright sparks. Twice a year we run these programs. Generally, all these programs run with about thirty or so kids in them, thirty-four, and they are designed. The purpose of these courses, as I said earlier, mm. is to to let them know or to help to awaken in them an awareness about the jobs that are in the industrial area, not pushing them, but just awakening an awareness. And then when once that awareness is awakened, awakened, showing them what sort of careers, <clears throat> what sort of careers that are there. And getting in early in <coughs> year nine, year ten means that subject right. choices are exactly. made appropriately for those pathways as yes. well. And so then we have our year and year eleven and year twelve certificate two courses with TAFE, and we've got four four of those now. Um, and we take fourteen year eleven students in each one of those each year, and they go for the two years. Um, now we've got um, industry saying they're very successful courses. We've got industry saying that they want more women in industry, and that's that's across course, the board. That's, uh, and it's that everywhere, it's all around the world. Yeah, but it's been really hard to change this, to change the existing demographics in the workplace. So we've got a women's networking forum, um, and there's men, of course, invited to that, <laughs> um, and not just token men, um, which is really successful. And we put it to uh, the participants in the networking forum. Uh, would you be prepared to mentor uh, year 11 and 12 girls into your organisations while they're on work experience? Because what we're looking to do is to create a new certificate engineering course for girls only at TAFE. So they, the girls Exciting. can apply from all any one mm. of the schools 
in our 17 school partnership and they go, they go to TAFE once a week uh, and they and they go into industry once a week for their day work experience while mm. they're at school. So they're, they're mentored by the person from the Women's Networking Forum and they the work experience they get is aligned with the, with the content of the engineering course that they're doing at that time. So by the end of year 12, they, they probably will walk straight into an apprenticeship because the company knows them. And they would have completed a Cert 2, Cert 3 in yeah. that engineering. Certificate Great. 2. Yep. Certificate 2, yep. being supported by our local TAFE. Yeah, and, and so what we're doing is filling the pipeline. Yeah. We, we could have said about our other courses, um, well, it could, I mean, they're open to boys mm. and girls, no, that doesn't change, but we could, we could have said 50% only boys, the rest have mm. to be girls. Well, what about the boys that miss out? Yes. It's just not fair. Yeah. Um, so what we did, and, and the girls have said, because um, we, we know this, because they come through our year 10 courses, the, mm. I, the I courses, they're a bit reluctant to go into these ordinary courses because, you know, they're almost all boys mm. and, you know, it's a bit intimidatory. So we thought, well, okay, how are we going to get around this? So what we've done is develop the, the girls only mm. year 11 and 12 certificate two in engineering. And... We're taking bookings at the moment, and it looks like we're going to have a full course comp- complement going into next 2021, year. 2021, yeah, which is fantastic. Yeah, it and is. I'm if really we proud don't, of it. Yeah, absolutely, and, and well, you should be. And if we don't do these um, moves, these big, bold moves that are mm. really innovative in terms of pathwaying young people into uh, where they need to be, and in this case, you know, I've, I'm famous for saying, don't give me clowns if the circus is not in town. <laughs> You know, <laughs> honestly, producing young people for pathways that don't exist for them is just a complete, um, completely naive soul and, and soul-destroying way of, of trying yep. to do future planning. And in that future forward planning in, in terms of employment as well, we've done this before. We did it with um, the 50,000 on Covenant and created lots of strong pathways for indigenous people and it's worked and it continues to work and we continue to drive people into employment and um, through specific pipelines and why shouldn't we be doing the same thing for girls and uh, and women later on so that uh, we do diversify the factory floor and then it will become a lot less uncomfortable right. for a young woman to be normal. in that environment becomes the new normal so we've applied for a, a grant uh, a federal grant it's closed on the 30th of june 30th of July, and um, we're looking for some money for two years, the grants are for two years, uh, to employ a coordinator. The program that we've devised is, so our, our um, the program I was talking about before for the girls only is for year 10s going into 11 and 12. And, yeah. So th- this is a program um, around the mature age women. So this, this what we want to do is facilitate their entry mm. into industry. So we're looking, if we get the grant, we're looking for four groups of women. The first group is women who've worked in here, over here in Quinata in the industry, industrial area, uh, and they have been out of work for a while. It might be health or family or travel or whatever, but mm. they've been out. They maybe lost a bit of confidence. So we will take Re-entering them, the workforce, yeah. Get, polish those skills up a little bit because that's all, just confidence mm. and facilitate them in. So our we've got a network of human resource managers and IR managers, HR, IR forum. Uh, they they will include these women in their in the interview lists for they'll they'll pre-select in the future. So we'll yeah. provide two or three candidates into their in, interview processes, and they'll look at them. Mm. And they will be. What I'd like to do is build up the reputation for these KIC um, candidates that they that they are pre-qualified. Absolutely. So that's the first group. The second mm. group is the women who've been working, maybe fly in, fly out, mm. and they want to come back. So they know about industry, but not this industry. So they, they need to just get some some um, tweaking of um, add, add, what's add required. Some new, yeah, new qualifications. New skills. Quite quite simple, um, and same thing. Bang straight mm. into interviews. The third group is women who have been in other indus- industrial sectors. Might be hospitality. Mm. Doesn't matter. Um, but they're going to have to go to TAFE and, and do some fairly serious skill getting, and they might go into a pre app. In industry, a pre-op mm. course going to an adult apprenticeship in industry, and the fourth group um, is the is the kids that have um, dropped out of school. The girls mm. have dropped out of school and haven't managed to find the other side of the river yet. Yes. No bridge. Yeah, so yeah. So they'll need a lot of training in TAFE, which is fine. Yeah, they'll do a pre-op course 
and then they'll be in line for adult apprenticeships. Yeah. So if we get the funding for that, we'd be, I mean, there's no limit on the number of um, candidates, candidates we can find. Yeah. We've just got to get the grant. We're looking, I think it's $120,000 a year. That's for that. That's for everything. And together with that sort of wraparound service, um, yeah. Chris, all I'm hearing is that that person, that mature age job seeker, is going to be having the opportunity to be so upskilled that even if they don't achieve the the outcome directly, they're upskilled enough and the confidence has been built to the extent mm. where they can then go out and with those employability skills continue the journey on sure. their own. Get back in the flow. Fantastic stuff. So <laughs> exciting what's coming up. You're tuned into Coffee with Caro and... And uh, we'll be back right after this. Can you spot the person who isn't safe? Not all hazards are physical. Some are harder to spot. Alice. But if you keep an eye out, is, is everything okay? Yeah. you can help. Thanks. No, you we keep our bodies safe at work. Let's keep our minds safe too. Because safety is everything. For more information, visit passionatelives.com.au or call 046 1416. Proud sponsors of Inspire Radio. For the community, Inspire Radio. My name's Mark McGowan and you are listening to Inspire Radio. This is Coffee with Caro. back listeners thank you so much for tuning into coffee with caro today the time is 2 47 p.m in the afternoon and it's monday it's a monday getting towards the close of business so you'll be feeling relaxed and heading home to that end um main roads tells me that we don't have any major alerts that we need to be concerned about so um just that one little issue on the great northern so be aware of that one and uh even the one that was on uh, manning uh, off ramp has now been cleared up so that's all good and our weather is still holding still looking at uh, 21 degrees with some late showers expected a little bit later on. Uh, Chris, you and I were having a really good chat earlier on and you said I was pushing some red buttons. <laughs> I'm not going to push any buttons, but I, like, I do. I like red buttons. You like having yeah. red buttons pushed, do you? I do. Okay. <laughs> I do have a question that's come in from Andrew, one of our listeners, and Andrew wants to know, how will industrial wastewater be prevented from destroying our sensitive marine life along the coast? Well, um, the answer is really simple, and the answer is that it doesn't go into 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 the sea in Coburn Sound. Okay, um, it's highly regulated. Um, there is a wastewater um, distribution process, or, or um, there, there, there's a pipe. The Water Corporation manage it. It's under regulation. Um, anything nasty in the water has to be taken out. The regulations are very specific about what quality of water goes into the wastewater pipe. Okay. Um, even so, and and in many cases, the wastewater is now being used by other companies. And there's more to go in that, but there hasn't been industrial wastewater um, discharged into Coburn Sound for many, many years. Um, and yes, industry, um, uh, whilst complying with the regulations of the day, did um, put a lot of nutrients into into Coburn Sound. That doesn't happen anymore. Um, and some of that was from the wastewater treatment plant at Woodman Point and, and Rob's jetty area. Okay. So, um, the environmental protection of Coburn Sound is really, really important for industry. Um, if we muck up, um, we will pay the price. That's why I got pretty grumpy, I suppose, um, a few years back when we had the fish kill. Mm. Yes. Well, it was industry was blamed. Or, or submarines were blamed or, you know, there was all sorts of stuff going around. Mm. Um, but I knew that, that industry does not discharge chemical waste, waste, waste water into Coven Sound. So it wasn't that. It was never that for me. What it turned out to be was was um, a, a um, uh, algae or... or um, an environmental it, it, thing, a marine a, thing. It was an organism living in the water that was able to thrive because of low oxygen, warm water, down in Mangles Bay primarily. Mm. And that's a, that's a hot spot down in Mangles Bay because of the causeway and, you know, it's not a circulating place. So the fish gills clogged up with mucus and they drowned. Okay. Um, but what what disappointed me was was the 
headlines that the, the, the groups who wanted to bag industry got without it being tested by those publishing those headlines. That's the right. Will, the willing automatic ex- assumption was that industry was bad and continu- and sneakily putting chemicals into Cove and Sound at night. Well, to, to those people at that stage, I said nonsense, and, and to this day, I'll say nonsense. still say nonsense. Yeah, that's good. So, Andrew, I hope that answers your question because uh, you've probably asked the question on behalf of a lot of listeners. Um, but the good thing is that it's heavily regulated and not happening anymore. So that's great. You heard that from the horse's mouth. Great looking horse, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we were talking about the synergies that are yes. being created um, by businesses and I wanted to talk a little bit about the desalination plant because that was something that uh, people were hoping was going to bring on increased amounts of water for us and we wouldn't have all these critical water restrictions that we had before. Does that actually provide water for um, for us in terms of residential water or does that add water to um, industrial water? I don't quite understand how it works. Can you share some information on that? Of course. So it is actually reasonably complicated and I can't speak on behalf of the Water Corporation. Yes, yes. What I can say, um, what I say on my tours. Yes. World famous tours that I spoke about. Kenny Uh, too. Kenny, part two. The Perth Seawater Desalination Plant based in Quinana is responsible for about 15% of Perth's drinking water. Okay. And what's made in excess of requirements goes up into the dams and is stored to come back down later. So that's that's the fresh water. Right. In addition to that, uh, there's a um, what do they call it? The Kwinana Wastewater Reclamation Plant. So that's taking the waste water that's going out to the back of Garden Island as we speak mm. from, from Woodman Point, secondary treated wastewater. It, ta- it takes a small proportion of that. Uh, and puts it through a desalina- uh, through a, a reverse osmosis process, and then provides that as industrial process water to industry. And that's our own wastewater that's from all right. of our suburbs here: Rockingham, yeah. Quinana, Coburn. It's not all of it. Yeah, but, but it's some a, of it's it. It's a reasonable proportion. Okay. Of it. um, and that's going back into industry, so you've got some recy- recycling water going. Okay. On. So they both use the same um, or similar processes. Uh, reverse osmosis, but one creating grey water. Yeah, one's producing fresh water for us to drink, and one's producing um, fresh process water for industry to use. To use, okay. And Chris, tell me, we are growing exponentially. It looks to me like um, Rockingham, Quinana. We seem to be growing out of our seams. Is there enough place for us continue to grow from you know all of the new? Um, building and construction that's happening from residential development as well as industry. Have we got enough space? Do we need to push out even further? The, the great thing about the move of the Inner Harbour freight task to Quinana um, is that there is room for industries to come to the Western Trade Coast to be around the new port. That is a major stimulant to the, the economic growth that will come. Now, we've got room... For, what is it, 750,000 people, I think, from where the housing stops at, at um, north of Thomas Latitude, Road. Yeah. It goes all the way down to Manjil, I think. And I, so I'm not a town planner, but that's yeah. what I... Directions 2031 or whatever it was. In terms of the industrial area, um, we look at the Rockingham industry zone, for example, and we see bush scrub, yes. um And not much going on. Um, but I can tell you, I think... and. Um, development WA can correct me if I'm wrong, but there's only something like four 20 hectare lots left unallocated in the whole of the Rockingham industry zone. So that's coastline to Old Manjur Road and then Dixon Road north to Office Road. So that's uh, that's now, all been allocated. Well, an allocation me and allocation means it's either sold or leased or optioned to be sold or leased. Or leased, so okay. it's almost, you know, there's been a massive uptake in the last two to three years, massive uptake. You know, there's only a couple of 10-hectare lots and a 5-hectare and a 2-hectare lot left in the Quinana Court. All the big lots Everything are gone. Everything else is gone. Yeah. So, so one of the things I'm agitating for uh, is to get an expansion of the industrial core, land zoned for an expansion of the industrial core. And the only place that can happen is north of Ankatel Road. Okay. Up to Coburn Cement. 
Okay. In that south green western, and in that southwestern um, circular part of the latitude thirty two industrial area. So the back you, part of it. As yeah. you run down Rockingham Road, heading south on Rockingham Road mm. from Munster, where the Coburn Cement is, down to the um, uh, Hope Valley Road or the Ten Mile yeah. Tavern, that kind of area. That part in there is where the buffer is the widest now and could easily accommodate an expansion of the heavy industrial core. It's really complex because there's private land, there's government land, there's railway corridors and mm. overhead transmission line corridors. But that's where the road. growth will go. That's where it, that's the only place it can go. If mm. we don't get that really soon, really soon, I'm worrying about this, mm. um, then we're going to start, we'll we get the next covalent that comes along, lithium hydroxide plant or whatever, yeah. something big. And, and I see renewable energy in the form of hydrogens coming too. Yes, yes, mm. and there's some more surprises coming too, which I can't talk about. Um, but, but We'll have to have you back on Coffee with Cara. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't had a coffee yet. <laughs> but but there's, if we don't provide this land really soon, mm. um, we'll have to say no thanks. Mm. Uh, that's, that's a that's, problem, that's, yeah. That'll be the ex- same as exporting our jobs. Exactly right. And we've just got to get quicker at getting these – this this re- plug and play, which means I want to buy or I want to lease that block of land, twenty hectares for this chemical processing plant, um, and I need it to be serviced with electricity and gas and a road. And to make it happen, yeah. yeah. And it's got to be there, but it's not there now. And so as you say, that's our future. That's, that's our right. jobs we've and our get, economy. We've really got to get cracking. Mm. Chris, it's been an absolute pleasure having you in this afternoon. Thank you so much for your time and your wisdom. What are your parting words, suggestions, words of hope? Um, (laughs) And uh, (laughs) just so that our listeners are left with, uh, you know, any parting thoughts from you? (laughs) So many. (laughs) Um, Look, just stay really positive. Stay positive about the industrial area. Um, it is doing the right thing by the community, by the environment. Um, we are all on the same page. Um, we, what's good for industry is good for the state. What's good for the state is good for industry. Um, we just might come at it from different directions, same, uh, different sides of the same coin. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you so much once again for being with You're us welcome. today. And uh, we hope we can invite you back again very soon. And before we let you go, I'd ask you to give us a little bit of a sound bite. So something like, this is Chris Outen and you're listening to Inspire Radio. You can do it, Chris. <sighs> oh, well, okay. Um, <laughs> okay, so you've been listening to Chris Outen, author of the world-famous Tour of the Industrial Area. Thank you, Inspire. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> Thank you very much, Chris. (laughs) Much appreciated. For the community, Inspire Radio.